You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. We're committed to sparking important conversations about money and inspiring you to always be in the financial front seat. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Here is how you know that this is going to be a good show. You know it's going to be a good show when your guest sitting across from you at the table asks right before you go on the air, isn't it all about money and sex? And she did just that. We are actually with two of my favorite women, Lisa Oz and Jill Herzig. You probably know both of them, but let me just tell you a little bit about them. Lisa, of course, a writer, producer, entrepreneur, author of The Oz Family Kitchen, as well as Us, Transforming Ourselves and the Relationships That Matter Most. She's co-author of The Whole You owner's manual series and has been or was editor-at-large of Dr. Oz, The Good Life magazine. Jill was the editor of that magazine. In fact, she spent 20 years as an editor at some of the biggest brands in magazines and most recently was running Dr. Oz, The Good Life, which was a partnership between Hearst and Dr. Mehmet Oz. And they have put their heads together to do what else? A fabulous podcast. It's called U-Turns. It is distributed by How Stuff Works, and U is spelled Y-O-U, which I love. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, we're excited to be here. Yeah, now let's just get everybody attuned to your voices. So Lisa spoke first. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us again. This is my voice. And Jill is sitting right next to you. Yep, this is me. Tell me, what's a U-turn, U-Y-O-U turn? Jill. Uh, U-turn is any twist or turn or change or transition that happens in your life. And, um, you know, we call them U-turns because they can be highly personal. They can be kind of public, like losing your job or Mm -hmm. getting a divorce, which is both personal and public. They can be unexpected or they can be something that you plan on and have been wanting for a long time. But they're disruptions and they're a little rocky. What drew you to the idea of a whole show around these kinds of things? Well, Jill and I were going through some personal U-turns ourselves at the same time. My youngest had gone off to college, and so much of my identity was wrapped up in the mothering thing. And so I was wondering not merely what I was going to do next, but who I was now. And Jill, who a lot of her identity, I think, I won't speak for you, but tied up in being the ultra performer, the super editor, um, then not having that job anymore. And we were both kind of shocked. And I think we both wanted to approach the period of transition and change in the most positive way so that we could grow from it and discover our next chapter. Um, and so that I think that's what brought me, at least. You can speak for yourself. No, that's absolutely right. And when we tried the idea out on Friends, 
almost everybody related to it. I can't think of somebody who didn't. Can you? No, because everybody, whether you're a student graduating from school or looking, transitioning from job to job or relationships, everybody's going through some sort of change in their lives at all times. And are you going to do that well? Are you going to make the most of it? Are you going to come out the other side a butterfly? <laughs> or, or are you going to, you know, stay as an ugly, old, withered caterpillar? You know, our sponsor at Fidelity, they did this very interesting piece of research where they took a look at these life stresses in people's lives. And they are exactly the same things that you define as U-turns. It could be your company reorganizing or getting a divorce or having a baby. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. And they found, they did research with the Stanford Center on Longevity, and they found the average person has four of these every single year. So it's a lot. It's happening to us all the time. Yeah. And nobody gives you a course in college called U-Turns 101. I think now it's more of a steady state than a big disruption. And maybe that's part of what we're trying to learn. If this is really, if change is really just constant, then you have to be in that mindset all the time. So let's talk, how are you handling it personally? I mean, your U-turn was, is a career, your U-turn that I, you and I had lunch yeah. just a little while yeah. ago, so I know you're sort of still thinking it out, but how has that been? Well, I mean, it's been really interesting. I'm a little more than a year into it. The magazine essentially folded and transitioned into something else. Um a year ago last summer. And I mean, I would say the first thing is I'm doing it with a lot of help from my friends, namely this lady <laughs> named Lisa who's here with us. Um, you know, I just, I, that's, that's just a me thing. I also think it's a female thing. I just reach out a lot when I feel untethered. And my friends have been incredibly helpful and really honest. Honest in what way? About changes they've been through as well. About the fact that it can be tough, about the fact that it can be exciting. Um, and they've been, been honest with me about what they see in me that's working for and against me in this situation, which is really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. We all need friends like that. Sometimes we have friends who just tell us what they think we want to hear. And that's not helpful, particularly at these points in life. How about for you, Lisa? How's it going? Um, it's evolving in some days are more interesting than others. <laughs> I think it's one of my social media things. I don't even know. Maybe Instagram. My, You know how you're supposed to have a little paragraph that says what who you are and what you do? Mm -hmm. And when I opened my Instagram account, I don't even know when it was. Literally, the only words it says is still figuring it out. I'm in that place <laughs> as we speak. But learning a lot and Ugh, you're kind of catching me at a knot of my favorite time. I'm so, yeah, no, it's hard. I mean, my kids are both off at college. They've both been off at college for a while now. My my youngest is in her final year, and that first year where they were both gone, that was that was rough. And I'm I'm as tied up in my work as pretty much any woman that I know. But it was still, it was just, it was really, really hard. And it feels like something you shouldn't be hard. It's a blessing, right? Your kids are at college for crying out loud. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's just, it's different. You know, I, it was so weird. I was walking through the grocery store the other day and going by the orange juice squeezer. We have this little fairway where I live. And I, I, was, I almost started crying because I was thinking, this is something I used to do every week with my kids. Come grocery shopping, they'd be, they'd be sitting in the 
basket with her feet dangling. I was like, that's not my life anymore. So weird. It's the little things. It's the cookies that I bought for six months until I realized nobody is <laughs> nobody's eating these cookies, yeah. right? The yeah. gluten-free stuff that was on my pantry because she was gluten-free. And now, you know, I just, I continued to buy it and ship it to Syracuse for a little while. But there, there, are, there are good things. As I said, it's a good thing. And both of our husbands are reveling in the opportunity of nakedness all the time. Oh, yeah. Money and sex. Money and sex. I mean, that is that right? I mean, Mm. it's not just my husband. No, it is not just your (laughs) husband. My husband, I weirdly am also in Lisa's same boat because um, my 18-year-old, I just dropped her at college, and my 16-year-old decided, brilliant move, to go to a one-semester boarding program. And she actually left before the 18-year-old did, so as to steal the spotlight completely. All of this has, like, dropped me cold turkey into... Into my life. Into Into Lisa's life. Into nakedness. Into Into nakedness. That, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, my husband shed a quick tear in the parking lot as we said goodbye to my daughter. And I swear to God, like, was almost immediately in the car thinking, well, this is going to be fun. (laughs) Sex and money. Sex Sex and money. money. And I was like, you know what? Give me a beat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to wear a robe in the house for a little while. So so in putting together this podcast, you have talked to a lot of women, a lot of men, a lot of experts. And you say that no matter what the transition is, the questions are the same. You know, how do we stay fearless when— life in front of us is uncertain? How do we switch directions without getting lost? How can we enjoy this? Because there's so much fear involved in it that enjoying it is really difficult. I mean, I I look at those questions, you suck them all up and they just scream resilience, which not all of us have enough of. So what have you learned and what do you want people to take away? You point out that the question's or are the same or at least variations on a theme. And that is true. But the answers have been so different. There is not one way to do this properly. And we have some people who are saying, maybe procrastination is good. You'll figure something out. Other people are saying, you know, you need to be more organized in the way you approach things. Answers have been so varied. And there is not one way of doing this properly, I think. And And that's what is so exciting for me is that this podcast has been an exploration and we can try out different things and we can mull over different things. And some things resonate for me. Some things resonate for Jill. That's just been my experience. It's been, I've been learning so much. Yeah, it's definitely been kind of an intense fire hose of different views on change. I mean, we can't even get people to agree that change is hard. Right, right. You know? <laughs> we had one person say, I completely disagree. I don't understand why you think change is hard. Change is exciting. And you know, and I, I'm thinking, I thought that was the one thing <laughs> that everyone could agree on yeah. that this was hard. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, I, I think it's, we're just trying on a million different kinds of glasses and goggles to look at this any, in different ways. Any tidbits, any particular approaches to change that you found most helpful? I mean, you went out and you climbed a mountain. Yeah, yeah, I did do that. You want to tell us? I hobbled a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just I took a crazy backpacking trip with with a guide and a young woman I didn't know. When you added their ages together, it equaled mine. Oh, <laughs> it's like oh, I knew this was going to happen, and it did. Um, but it was an eight day backpacking trip. It was pretty hardcore, and thank God I made it up the mountain and down and all the rest of it. 
Um, and it really helped to clear my head. But I'm a very um, body-mind connected person. So I needed to move forward. And that was a extraordinarily physical way to experience moving forward. And it, so it helped me. It got me unstuck, I think. I think that was a good thing. Because you were literally moving forward. Mm, yeah. It was just one foot in front of the other. Were there other approaches beyond the person who said change isn't hard that you felt were helpful, that you that you could take something from? What's your favorite? Well, Seth. Mm, Seth yeah. Gooden, who's... Is everybody's favorite. Is he everybody's yeah. favorite? <laughs> yeah, I'm such a cliche. Um, I think so. I think he had some really great advice. Jill had a little extra private session with him afterwards. He was so nice. He's like, let me talk to you. Uh. <laughs> let me see if I can help. <laughs> and he did help. Yeah. Well, what did he say? He is really all about, to me, accepting the fact that it's going to be difficult, that you're going to stumble, that if it wasn't hard, you wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be really something worth doing, that it takes time, all things that would seem to be discouraging. But when you're actually going through change and you're experimenting and you're hitting these roadblocks, you think, it's just me. I'm the only person who's struggling with this. I'm the only person who can't get it together. And I think his point is, no, no, no. Hard is okay. This is a marathon and nobody tells you you're not supposed to get tired. Absolutely. Let me take a quick breather on that note to remind everybody that Her Money and Important Conversations Like These is brought to you by Fidelity Investments because no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what change you're going through, whether you're single or married or divorced, it is vital for all of us to be actively engaged in our finances and our investments before it becomes necessary. And that means knowing what you own, knowing what you owe, what your goals are, having a financial checkup at least once a year. That's what we call it when you're in your financial front seat. And you can learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. We are talking with Lisa Oz and Jill Herzig, co-hosts of the new podcast, U-turns. You all should check it out. So these changes can cause a great deal of stress. I, um, As you know, I wrote this book um, about a year and a half ago with a guy named Mike Roizen, who is a frequent guest on your in, – in, I think he sleeps in Daphne's room. Does he sleep in Daphne's he room has when he's at your house? He pretty much slept in every room in our house. <laughs> <laughs> he rotates through the house depending on you know who's home and who's not home. Um, but every room has a child's name and Mike Roizen in parentheses <laughs> behind it. So, yeah, he spends, we've spent a lot of time. He, he wrote all the U books with Mehmet also. And he and I put our heads together because we figured out at approximately the same time that life doesn't work without money, health doesn't work without money, and money doesn't really work without good health because one can completely take away the other. So as you are parsing life changes, such a stressful scenario in so many cases, what do you do to bring down the stress level? Do potato chips count? <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> we stress eat. Okay. That is not a productive answer. I'm joking. No the one Aperol do that out there. Count. No. Uh, oh, Aperol spritzes. Too. Aperol spritzes no, mine count. We actually have done that together, yes, the two of us. Did you do it at the bar downstairs? Yes, we yeah. did. Shout out to the bar downstairs. Yeah. They make a good Aperol spritz. They do. They do. They yeah. do. It's Nizza for anybody who is <laughs> happening toward the corner of 45th and 9th. So good. So good. Um... You know, for me, it's really about perspective, and I find that when I'm, when I'm, when I'm in a negative state, it's almost always because I am focusing on the wrong things, and reminding myself that I am blessed and that I have a lot to be grateful for, and that the things that we find in retrospect, we value the most are the things we've had to work for. And that's true for money and life, I think. When you struggle to get through a change and you have become stronger for it, you have more resilience, you have more um, sense of self, and you, and I think more self-confidence. When you work for money and there has been struggle there, it's so much more valuable than if it was just something that that you didn't have to work that hard for. So I do think that Understanding that that whatever you're experiencing now, if you approach it with the right attitude, focus on the right things, do your best and get through it, you'll be stronger for it. Then you can, you know, at least see the silver, the maybe bronze lining. Maybe it's not silver, <laughs> but there, there good can come out of it if you approach it. I think. And I think what you're saying about having to struggle for the money. It's a light bulb moment that I know I experienced with my kids. I'm I'm wondering if you experienced it with yours, but I gave my kids allowance for many, many years and they were like, great, you know, thanks mom. The minute that they earned the money themselves, I mean, that $10 that they earned babysitting was so much more valuable than the $10 they got because somebody gave it to them. You know, all of a sudden it was an hour of their time and they made the connection And I think kids who don't have the opportunity to work don't get that. We did something kind of funny in our family, and I keep waiting to encounter somebody else who's done it this way. We gave allowance for, I don't know, a few years, and it just didn't seem to be, it didn't come with any meaning. Mm -hmm. It was very transactional. And so we switched. Once our kids started babysitting and doing other odd jobs for money, we switch to a system where we match everything they make. And that's it. So if they make money, they make more, and they have money. And if they don't make any money, they have to come to us with individual requests, which we weigh, like, do we want to pay for them to go to the movie? You know? That's brilliant, actually. I've never heard of a family doing it that way. Another way in which we are super strange. (laughs) No, not super strange. Lisa knows all the ways. I think it's really smart. Well, here's what I didn't anticipate. I didn't anticipate that my older daughter, Julia, would start babysitting for the entire block and then the other blocks all around (laughs) us. So it's been been a very expensive (laughs) proposition. But here's actually kind of an amazing thing that she said to me before we dropped her off of college. We were talking about how we were going to work money while she was there. And I said, well, you know, she's going to get some sort of a job. Mm -hmm. And I said, so we can continue the matching thing. And she said, no, we're done. And I just realized that she recognizes that she has money in the bank now and she's going to do it on her own. How great is that? Yeah. 
I, I had that. See if it lasts, I'll let you know. No, it's it, <laughs> they will come back. But I had a similar experience with my son. It was it was not a poignant a story, a little bit of a sad story. But his car was stolen mm. in L.A. He lives in L.A. His car was stolen out of a locked garage, which is a problem in and of itself. But he had a backpack and headphones in the backseat of the car. And I tried to throw money at the problem and say, look, you you know, you need a new backpack. We'll get you some headphones. And he said, no, mom, I work. I shouldn't have left them there. I got it. You know, I mean, in a very sort of telling me to back off kind of a way. But I think that's when we have to, when they give us room to step back, we have to step back. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow, good for him. Yeah. Well, honestly, even now in my early 50s, if someone offered to replace something that was stolen from me, I can't guarantee I would say, I got this. It's just he such a nice back. offer, Gene. He actually got the car back. Yeah, it had been pretty stripped and, and uh, driven to one of the, I don't the know. Chop shop shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was still fixable. And he has it back. And so I'm sure he's, I don't know, maybe put a club or a boot in addition to the lock garage. I have no idea how he's dealing, but he's he's dealing. How Amazing. how has the process of changing, and, and Jill, I want to ask you specifically, going through this career change, what has that done to your financial life, and how has it changed the way you manage your financial life, if at all? Well, again, I'm a little bit of a funny case. In my family, money is sort of like a downed power wire. You know, it flips all around, and it's kind of emotionally charged. It's just always been that way. Bad divorce, financial insecurity, lots of, you know, lots of emotion attached to money. Not your bad divorce. No. No. Right. No. no Thank you, God. That's a, that's a U-turn I just that. really don't want to go through, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, and, but it's just even from childhood, it's just been a loaded thing. And so my way of dealing with the fact that money had sort of explosive potential in my life or felt that way to me was to really save and be super conservative. So I'm that weird person who oversaved for college for my children. We have enough to pay a little bit of their children's college education. (laughs) Um, But that's just one example. Like, I've been a worrier around money. And to me, in order to take the emotional power out of money, I have to feel twice as secure as the next lady. So this transition, I was kind of well insulated from it when Mm -hmm. it happened. I also saw that the magazine industry was really being buffeted by some terrible circumstances. And I saw people leaving it right and left. And I thought, you know, chill, (laughs) be very careful with this nice salary you have. So we just busily paid off our house and every other major bill we could think of. You know, it's funny, going through a divorce did the same thing to me. Mm. It made me oversave for college and pay off the mortgage and pretty much oversave for every other goal because it was the only way that I could feel secure and like I had the control back over my life. That doesn't mean, though, that when I lost my job, I didn't feel a lot of fear. It wasn't rational fear because of all of that irrational saving. (laughs) Um, But 
I, you know, I remember standing in the shower one Friday where I would ordinarily have seen my paycheck go through and just crying in the shower, realizing that that wasn't going to happen for the first time in I don't know. I couldn't even remember a time when, you know, I wasn't seeing the bank balance tick up and up and up. And it was, I was kind of bereft, actually. Was it about the money or was it about the identity? I mean, Lisa, you talked about this when we first sat down. Being wrapped up in what we do and who we are day to day, that's a very difficult thing to let go of. It was an identity thing. And, you know, a big part of my identity was being a provider. So... Regardless of whether I actually had big bills to pay at that point, I just, it pained me that I wasn't sort of in that kind of muscular role of being the The, provider. There's also that element of society um, pays you according to how they value you. So when you're not bringing in money, you feel like maybe what you're providing isn't valued a little bit. Um, I don't know if you felt that at all, but that's something I have dealt with on an ongoing basis. How has it been working together? I mean, I'm looking at your body languages. You're there leaning into each other. You guys can't see it, but we'll we'll take a picture. Um, we get a lot of pairs of women who've come in because they've started businesses together, and uh, it always seems like a really nice thing to do. What's your advice as we wrap this up for working with a friend? Hmm. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> like Definitely. I love Lisa. And I love you. <laughs> it is a love fest. We used to, I used to come to the magazine once a week and it was literally like a, a girl date, right? I mean, it was so great. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot done, but we also caught up and it was all in the sort of creative stew of that office. I do think that creativity though Um, There's a creative energy that comes out of just knowing that someone's got your back. It it gives you a safe space to be creative in. Um, So, I mean, that and communication. Just, just, you know, we text, we email, we Zoom, we talk on the phone. I mean, like, we're, we're in pretty good communication, even when Lisa is traveling. She does like a gypsy all summer long. <laughs> a lot. I would just add one thing and that I have a lot of friends that I love that I wouldn't want to work with. And I think to actually have to work with someone, you have to really at least like them a lot, hopefully love them. But more importantly, for a business partner, you have to respect them. And as you said, someone who has your back, I think I trust Jill implicitly. Um, and Literally, she could do the whole podcast version. If I were ill or lost my voice like I did last time, she could just do the whole thing. And I would be cool with that because I trust her opinion. I trust her judgment. I trust her insights. I trust her intellect. So I think respect is a lot of it, too. Jill Herzig, Lisa Oz. The podcast is U-Turns. Please come back. Thank you so much Thank for you, and come us. visit us. We absolutely yes. have yeah. lots of you questions have- about okay. money and change. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll be right back. And Kelly has joined me in the studio. Kelly Haldgren, our producer. Nice to see you. Good to see you, too. That was a fun conversation. Beautiful conversation. I appreciated their vulnerability so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I have not seen Lisa. I ran into her at NPR a little while ago. But, boy, we shared a radio studio. When I was on Oprah and Friends Mm -hmm. uh, doing the personal finance hour there for three years, 
Dr. Oz was doing the medical hour, and um, Lisa was his co-host most days. And yeah, so I saw them all the time. We we would come in and out of the studio sort of back to back. It's so fun to think you've been orbiting yeah. each other, and now they have their podcast. I can't wait for you to be on their podcast. That'll be fun. That will be fun. But no, I really appreciated the parts of the conversation on identity and how our identities are constructed. And when you do go through a change, like the one Lisa was talking about, you know, of course she's still a mother, but the day-to-day of it is different now, and she's really grappling with it. Yeah. And gosh, I just felt so much for moms out there. I never realized like how me leaving affected my mom and how... Yeah, you're going to call your mom. I know. I feel inspired to call my mom now. But no, it was a really lovely conversation. Yeah. No, it was was great. And um, we should all listen to their podcast. Yes, we should. So there we go. All right. What do we have in terms of mailbag? We will do one from Maria first. She writes, I'm 52 and I'm on SSD which I think means social... That's Social Security Disability Uh, Income. Okay, good to know. And my current income is around $1,800 a month. I pay $500 for rent and have approximately $2,500 in debt between cards and a ring I pawned years ago. I'm a recuperating shopaholic due to depression and anxiety. Is there any hope for me to save for my later years? Sure. There's always hope. And I think in a case like this, we need to look at both sides of the equation. There are limitations on how much you can earn if you need to maintain your disability benefits, and I don't want to go there. But you may want to look at picking up some income that you can get from using your telephone or your computer to do some work during hours where you feel up to doing it. You don't have to do anything physical. You don't even have to leave the house. There are a lot of legitimate work-from-home opportunities these days from legitimate companies. So that's one thing that I would just put on your radar. The other thing to think about is that by saving just a little bit on a regular basis, you save a considerable amount over time, and you with each little bit that you put away, make life a little bit better for tomorrow. So that could be $2 a day. It could be two fifty if you find that two is easy to maneuver. Take it step by step and bit by bit and chunk it down and watch it add up. And you'll start to feel good about the progress. And if you can do them both together, bring in a little bit of additional income that you can save and put it away and watch it grow, all of a sudden you'll start to feel more stable. I love that. It could be even a dollar a day. It could. Absolutely. Okay. We'll do one more from Lori. What is the likelihood that a credit card company will lower my interest rate at this time? I'm paying down debt and have a couple of cards with high interest rates. Since I have taken over our finances, there has not been a late payment in at least 17 months. Is there hope for a lower rate? Yeah, absolutely. And not necessarily with the card company that you're with now, but perhaps by transferring the balance to a different card. Mm. Start with the company you're with. Gather the offers that you've been getting for 0% cards, lower interest rate cards. Call the company and say, hey, I am being offered better deals left and right. Will you lower my interest rate? Mm -hmm. And if they say no, ask for a supervisor. And if the supervisor says no, you can hang up, but don't close the card just yet. 
go ahead, apply for another card with a balance transfer. You may want to look into the Chase Slate card. It has a 0% interest rate for 15 months, and it's the only one or one of the very few without a 3% balance transfer fee. So that might be a nice way for you to roll into it. Hopefully you pay down whatever you owe during the period of the 0% interest rate. And then as long as you are paying off your credit card debts every single month, the big fat secret is that the interest rate (laughs) doesn't matter because you're never paying interest. Right. That's absolutely right. How do you nicely ask for the supervisor? Because every time I try, it doesn't come across well or it doesn't land well. It doesn't really matter if it lands well. (laughs) Um, I mean, by the time you're asking for a supervisor, you just say, I understand you may not have the ability to help me. Mm -hmm. Could I please speak with your supervisor? And if they say, well, I'm I'm doing my best, they're not going to be. What they often do is say they're not going to be able to do anything more for you than I am. Right. That's fine. Thank you so much. Could I speak to your supervisor? I just want to get to know your team. Yeah. (laughs) I really like knowing who I'm working with. So, okay, well, I will try that the next time. But I was doing that with my cable provider yesterday. Yeah. And would they not transfer you? There was resistance. And I was trying to channel my best Hayden. We had Hayden Hayden Field on for Hayden Helps. She used to be on our team. And, you know, the idea of, like, no matter what you say, make sure you're saying it kindly. Did my best. It just wasn't working. But we'll see. I'm going to try calling back because I ended up having to go because it was in the middle of the workday and I needed to do something. So I'm going to try again. And Hayden's advice, too, would be, you know, hang up and then call again. You're You're going to get somebody else. Somebody new and try it again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Jean. And thank you, everyone, for your questions. Thanks, you guys. And now it is time for our weekly Thrive segment. When women are vocal, When we're authoritative, when we're straightforward, all too often we are labeled as bossy, as insensitive, and as pushy. And if we put our accomplishments on display, if we are all, hey, look what I did, we may be looked at as arrogant. This is troubling. It's a troubling pattern of facts, but it is a true pattern of facts, and there is more than enough data to back it up. So it came to no surprise to me that new research just published in the Harvard Business Review found that many women are opting for what the researchers called intentional invisibility in the office. In other words, we are choosing to fly under the radar to avoid backlash to feel authentic at work, and to try to balance the demands on our personal and professional lives. What's problematic about this, and it came out in the article, is that for some women, this is a lose-lose situation. If you opt for becoming invisible at work, your contributions and your talents are going to be overlooked. But if you make yourself more visible by being vocal, by being assertive, you risk being perceived as entitled. And while it's easy to think that it's up to women to just change this and simply urge us to shine the spotlight on ourselves, it's very clear to me that the real problem lies in society, in these notions of correctness. The article is well worth a read. I'd recommend everybody go have at it, but also think about what can we do to change this perception 
of the other women in our office so that they can help change it for us. And it may be as simple as supporting your female colleagues when they say something so that they're not the only voice out there. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Lisa Oz and Jill Herzig for the great conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We want to hear what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week. We'll be back with another great guest. We'll talk soon.